Well, I will be in John 4 today. In fact, I've been in John 4 for a long time. Read with me as we begin. I'm actually going to back it up to verse 27. So many of you know about the woman at the well. We sing about her. We talk about her. We know the woman at the well. It's the aftermath that I want to talk about. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. No one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of their town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, he harvests the crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. One of the things that I always enjoy about mission trips is that I get a chance to get back to the center of God's will. You always have to get that uh, situation in your life when you come back to where it's really important. You know, we go through a lot of things when, in our walk with the Lord, especially in this country. We, we tend to segment God out of certain areas of our lives, or perhaps we, send, we tend to, to only listen to Him at certain times during the day or at certain days during the week or whatever the case might be. Mission work is what brings us right back to the center of where he wants us to be. And it really helps re-clarify for those of us that went on that trip. There were a number of, of pastors, I'll tell you about it, but, but uh, from all over the United States, there were a number of, of pastors from Dominican Republic, from Haiti, that were there. But for all of us, it was a matter of recalibrating, if you will, our walk with the Lord. Three things I'm going to leave with you this morning. First of all, number one is, what is your passion? Jesus was there. We know that he was there at high noon, which is not a, a normal time for somebody to come and draw water. It's, a, it's the heat of the day. It's, it's in the area of the, of the world where it is very hot and dry, and high noon is not the time that you want to come draw water. But nevertheless, here is a woman. And Jesus was talking to her, even asked to drink from her utensils, if you will. She was a Samaritan woman. She was a woman. Jewish men didn't talk to, to women in public that weren't their wives. She was a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were inbred with all of these marauding armies over the centuries. And they were considered uh, 
uh, half-blooded or half-breeded Jews, if you will. They were looked down upon. And there they were worshiping in Mount Gerizim. And, and uh, she wanted to know, where would the Lord be worshipped? Jesus said, God is spirit. And if you want to worship Him, you're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's true worship. We talk a lot about worship being what we do on Sunday morning, but uh, true worship is a matter and an attitude of the heart. So, Jesus had been talking to her, and then this lady went back to her Samaritan village, Sychar. And as she is going back to the village to report all that she had seen and heard of this man who claims to be the Messiah, the disciples joined her. And notice... When they returned, they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. A woman? In broad daylight? A Syrian? I mean, a a woman who is there from this particular area of the country? Why? Really? What is your passion? Jesus looked at them when she left her water jar and went back to the town. The disciples who had already gone into the town to buy something for them to eat said, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, your reason for living. Some eat to live, others live to eat. In that region, they ate to live. What is your reason for living? What is your real, true passion in life? And it's more than Bible study, more than prayer and worship services. It's more than that. What is your true passion? You see, these things are means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. What is your passion when you wake up in the morning? What is your passion when you lie down at night? What is your passion when you're doing the daily activities? Where is your passion? And Jesus was saying, you know... I have food, I have passion that obviously you're not aware of. Obviously this is not part of of the food or the nourishment that you receive on a daily basis. The disciples were still trying to learn all about this one who claimed to be the Messiah that they were following. They ate with Him, they followed Him, they watched Him perform miracles, they listened to His words. It was still a hard thing for them to understand. We have retrospect. Retrospect is 2020 in our vision cycle. And yet, we've got all the words, we've got the the life stories, we've got the Bible, we've got all of this, but they were living it out, folks. They were having a hard time understanding this. Passion. Well, you have to recover, recall, reclaim that passion on a daily basis. If our passion is not Jesus Christ, then it needs to be recovered. That passion in Jesus Christ recognizes that He is our He is our life, abundant and eternal. He is our hope for not only the present but the future. He is our eternal glory. He is all in all. Jesus is everything to us. And it's that passion that people are drawn to in our lives. So I stand here and ask you, what is your passion? We all have passion. You know, 
people who uh, I put out a devotional several weeks ago about football fans. In the South, folks, we are passionate about football. Just three more months. Three more months. So I'm, I'm coming home yesterday afternoon from Dominican Republic. I have one clean shirt. It just so happens to have a gator on it. And as I'm flying into Miami, I'm thinking, uh-oh, maybe this wasn't the best shirt I could have worn today. I didn't even get into the line going through security until a TSA agent said, Gators. I said, boy, you're going to need a lot of luck in August. I said, luck? We don't need luck. He said, oh, yeah, you will. You're, you'll be lucky to even stay on the field. And he just went through this thing. And I'm just looking at him thinking, okay, talk smack. We'll talk again after the game's over. But uh, uh, passion. You ever been... I had a mistake one time of learning. I was in a uh, Campus Crusade for Christ seminar training session, and we were going door-to-door in in Talladega, Alabama, on a day when both Alabama and Auburn were playing football on TV. I couldn't, I don't remember the number of doors that were slammed in my face. (laughs) But such as it is, passion. Would the people of God have the passion that football fans have in the South. Would whatever that passion might be for you, it might be hockey, I don't it doesn't matter. It might be passion for your grandchildren, your children. We all have passion for that. But our passion ultimately ought to be completely and absolutely for the Lordship of Jesus Christ as He reigns supreme not only in our lives, but in the lives of this congregation and this world. Our passion is to not only follow Him, but to promote Him in everything that we say and do. When it becomes your passion, you don't mind telling people, remember when you first fell in love, that first love? You didn't mind telling everybody about that. You didn't mind sharing that with your your friends, your family. It was kind of embarrassing at first, maybe. But you said, oh, yeah. Ah, well, I I can't wait to be with him or her. I'm going to spend my nights. Your friends would say, are you crazy? We used to do all of these things and you don't want to do them anymore? No, you're thinking I'm passionate about this particular person now and how I enjoy being in his or her presence. You remember, I'll take you back down memory lane. Well, you remember when you came forward that one time? Or that time when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and that passion. You couldn't wait to tell people about it. They didn't understand it sometimes. Sometimes they didn't trust it. Sometimes they thought you were probably crazy like you were at that one time when you fell in love with that other person. But yet it didn't dissuade you from sharing your love with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have passion that you know nothing about. In that wonderful pastoral prayer in John 17, you hit verse 3 and 4, and Jesus says, I have done all that you have asked me to do, he prays to his Father. Everything you wanted me to do, I've been passionate about, Father, and I have performed all that you asked me to do. I'm passionate. What are you passionate about? We are nourished not only by what we take in, by what we give out. Secondly, 
Why are you waiting? Look at verse 35. You say four months until the harvest. The fields are white and ready unto harvest. Now, my grandfather was a farmer in Louisiana, and he, for years and years and years, raised not only corn for his cattle and, uh, and to eat, to sell at market, but he also raised cotton. And what I see that white and ready in the harvest, that my image is to see those cotton fields just, just so white and ready in the harvest. I can see it so clearly. But here he is saying, you say there's four months and then the harvest. You know what I'm seeing here with Jesus? The disciples saw him talking to a woman. And where was she from? A village in Samaria. Sychar, a Samaritan woman. It's as though Jesus is saying to the disciples, you know what? You've got people all around you that need to know about me. And you don't even know that they exist. There they are. Literally tens of thousands of people and you don't even know that they're there. Why are we waiting? There's never been a time in the history of mankind when people are more open to the gospel. You say, well, not in my village, not in my community, not in my town. We talked, uh, I was talking to a number of pastors in Dominican Republic this week, and they say, you know, what it is is low-hanging fruit. You know that expression? Everybody seems to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. And I know there are windows that are closing worldwide. I understand that. I understand the oppression of the Muslim influence. And I understand in India how there is the oppression of, of radical Hindu influence. And I know that, that in communist-born countries, the government is doing all it can to oppress or snuff out anything related to Christianity. I understand all that. But in spite of that, there's never been a time in the history of mankind when the world is more open and eager to receive the true claims of Jesus Christ than it is right now. And we're saying, well, maybe in the future, maybe a few months down the road, maybe that'll happen. The the surveys still say, folks, of all the people surveyed who had absolutely no relationship with the church, 80% of those surveyed said that they would attend if only invited. Four out of five people would attend if only invited. So, well, maybe there would be a better time to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Maybe there will be something coming up that I can invite them to. Maybe there's, and the list goes on. Well, he talks about the reaper. There's the grim reaper that's out there as well. And you don't know it. Your neighbor may be closer to stepping into eternity than you ever realize. You may be closer to stepping into eternity and you've missed the chance to share that with family, with friends, with neighbors, with community members. You just have, for whatever reason you have, not taken the opportunity to do so. There's never been a time when the people are more open to what you have to say. We're in a period of of Ramadan with the Muslims. And in this period of time, 
we're coming into that time where they are actually seeing visions and dreams of Jesus, a man in white who claims to be Jesus, the Messiah. Worldwide, Muslims are turning over to the tens of thousands to Jesus Christ as a result of these dreams and visions. What? Why? Because I believe we're in the days of the last harvest. And you want to be a part of that. And you don't ever want to go to bed at night with thinking, there's somebody that I could have talked to that God had placed on my heart and my mind and my soul, and there's somebody out there that Jesus really wants me to relate to. And don't call me, people. God's put it on your heart. It's your responsibility. I mean, I'll go with you if you ask me to, but it's your responsibility because God's placed them on your heart. They know you. They respect you. They love you. They like you. So go to them. Don't say that there's four months. Jesus said, why are you waiting? Four months more, then the harvest comes? No, it's ready now. I tell you. And then the third point I want to lift to you is where's your focus? I like what the King James Version, the way it says, lift up your eyes and look upon the field. NIV says, open your eyes. The point is the same. You can't see something without looking at it. Okay? The point is, is we have such an inward vision of who we are, what we expect in life, what our life is all about. It's all about us. Life surrounds us, and we always use that explanation. But, well, you don't understand, Lord. I mean, I've been going through some things here. I've had some difficult times. God says, I'm trying to get you out of those difficult times by getting you out of yourself. I want you to talk to somebody else about me, the Lord is saying. Lift up your eyes, look upon the fields. You know, in Sun City Center, I'm reading where we're averaging somewhere between 40 to 45 homes a month being sold. Well, if that's true, and I believe it is, then there are that many new families moving in every month. Multiply that times 12, and then you have what the yearly turnover looks like around here. Now, to that, there are opportunities given to us. But you've got to lift your eyes. You've got to open your eyes and look upon the fields. As we really get a good look, not only at Sun City Center, but at the areas around it, at Waimama and, and Ruskin and, and the areas along 19th Street north of us, and even beyond, we start getting a clearer vision of what God is trying to say to us. It's an amazing thing. You can't see if you don't look. We become so focused on ourselves and on our immediate needs and our immediate world, on our family and friends, and even on our church. We become so inwardly looking that we omit the outward. There are people all around us that are looking to hear about Jesus Christ. And yet, what are you waiting for, Jesus says? The harvest is here. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
One man sows, another man reaps. God gives the increase. One man uh, is there. It is, it is God that allows us to celebrate together in the harvesting of these particular souls. It is bringing people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, letting people know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. It's no other way available. Do you believe that? You know, there was a time when probably every one of us in here believed that with everything that's in us. We believed that if a person died without Jesus, they were going into a place called hell that's separate from God for all eternity. There was a time in our life that we embraced that. We understood it. Maybe some of you came through a sawdust floor and a, and a tent revival, and this, this particular pastor or preacher was preaching fire and brimstone like you had never heard before. And it's what brought you down to the aisle, to the altar, to the Lord. And yet, what happened to that passion? What happened to that vision? What happened to the fact that we understand that our purpose in this life is to bring others into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and into a deeper walk with Him? That we serve Him by serving others. We serve others by presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ in a clear form. Some of you may have read, and I'm sure you have, the parable of saving lives. I want to end it with this. On a dangerous seacoast notorious for shipwrecks, there was a crude little life-saving station. Actually, the station was merely a hut with only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger as well as the lost. Many, many lives were saved by the brave man of, band of men who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station. By and by, it became a famous place. Some of those who had been saved, as well as others along the seacoast, wanted to become associated with this little station. They were willing to give their time and energy and money in support of its objectives. New boats were purchased. New crews were trained. The station that was once obscure and crude and virtually insignificant began to grow. Some of its members were unhappy that the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided. Emergency cots were replaced with lovely furniture. Rough handmade equipment was discarded and sophisticated. Classy systems were installed. The hut, of course, had to be torn down to make room for all the additional equipment, furniture, systems, and appointments. By its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place, and its objectives had begun to shift. It was now used as sort of a clubhouse, an attractive building for public gatherings, saving lives, feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful, and calming the disturbed rarely occurred by now. Fewer members were now interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do the work. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, however. The life-saving motifs still prevailed in the club's decorations. 
In fact, there was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the room of sweet memories with soft, indirect lighting, which helped hide the layer of dust upon the once-used vessel. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, some terribly sick and lonely. Others were different from the majority of the club members. The beautiful new club suddenly became messy and cluttered. A special committee saw to it that a shower house was immediately built outside and away from the club so that victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings which resulted in a division among its members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and all involvements with shipwreck victims. The words were spoken, it's too unpleasant, uh, or it's a hindrance to our social life, or perhaps it's opening the door to folks who are not our kind. As you would expect, some still insisted that upon saving lives that this was their primary objective, that their only reason for existence was ministering to anyone needing help, regardless of their club's beauty or size or decorations. They were voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club and yet another, and yet another life-saving station was begun. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of the victims are not saved. Every day they drown at sea, and so few seem to care. So very few do you. So my question to you this morning, what is your passion? Why are you waiting? Where is your focus? Maybe you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is this opportunity for you to do just that. I'll be here at the front to receive you, to pray with you about trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you might know the way, the truth, and the life, that you might know life abundant and eternal, that Jesus, regardless of what the question is in your life, is the answer for it all. Today is that day. Come and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I don't know of any place I'd rather serve than right here. This is a great place to serve the Lord and to serve others in that process. So if, if you're looking for a church home, today is the day. And for all of us, this is a time of rededication. Some of us have lost the passion. Some of us have lost the vision. Some of us have just lost our focus, if you will. And now is the time of rededication. Where you are, here at the front, you're free to come and pray here at the front as well. Whatever the case might be, we'll be here. This invitation will be for you. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just thank you for this time and day that you've given us in Christ Jesus, Lord. We just ask that you will be with us today. I know there are decisions being made. I know, Father, with all my heart, 
that you have a reason for bringing people here this morning to hear this particular message. So thank you. Thank you for the decisions that are being made. Thank you for those who are honoring you in those decisions. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the hymn of invitation. I'll be here at the front to pray with you.